1: All right, here we go. We do a podcast for you on another gloomy day. It's Wednesday. Eddie Scazzare. What's up, man? Hello, podcast people. So I see uh, Al is off again. He'll be back on uh, Tuesday. You are now off for the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. What are the the big plans now going into Labor? It's amazing we're in Labor Day weekend. What are the big plans? Uh,
3: Gearing up for the New Jersey Fiber Festival that my wife will be doing next weekend. Uh, So you're working? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So good times.
1: So as we sit here, I just recorded a uh, an interview. Yes, uh, for Rutgers football. Uh, mm-hmm. It's For a show, it's going to be on the fan on Saturday. That's right. You know, it's one thing that college football plays games on Friday nights. I get that. I understand that. And it's,
3: Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. And Maxion in November.
1: The game is Sunday yeah. between Rutgers and Northwestern at twelve yeah. p.m. Mm-hmm. So I do the interview with Aaron Brightman, he, uh, website Rutgers website, it, uh, the Scarlet Faithful is called, really good dude. And the entire time I'm saying, you know, I'm taping it for Saturday. Like, today noon blah. It's college football Saturday. Here we go. And at the end he's like, I don't want to be a bad guy. He goes the game's tomorrow. <laughs> the game's Sunday rather. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like Sunday. I had no idea. Yes uh it is cool though that rutgers is going to be on cbs on sunday standalone sure that is and i know on our station too with carlin and moose but that is kind of neat how much of the college football will you get into this weekend if you are working with your wife
3: uh as much as i can i'll be you know of course game day is a must for me on on saturday morning on espn and uh but it starts
1: uh tomorrow night tomorrow oh, it does tomorrow night wednesday night Oh, wait. Today's, no, today's hold way. on, what is Thursday. today? It was Thursday night. I'm so confused you because are. I worked the two days with Boomer, and I feel like today's Monday with yeah, Joe, which right. has been different. Yeah. So tomorrow night, Thursday night, kicks off your week of college football.
3: Yeah, and it's Florida, Utah, and ESPN is a big one.
1: Did you get to see any of the Urban Meyer, uh, Tebow, Florida Gators documentary yet on Netflix?
3: No, and I'm really not interested. Once I found out that Urban Meyer had, like, creative control and input, I'm out.
1: It just—I would suggest watching it. Mm. The 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 locker room footage they have is outstanding. The guys that are talking current day and looking back. Forget Urban Meyer for a second because it's as much as it starts with Urban Meyer and he's telling the story. Mm-hmm. There is so much Tebow information. Brandon Spikes is interviewed a lot through it, um, and there are a couple of other guys I don't—I wasn't familiar with who they were. Um, it's it's good, and as a college football fan, I think I think you would enjoy seeing the guys going through training camp. It's just it's a different—I shouldn't say it's that different, but it is a little bit of a different look. And I got a great feel for—and again, I'm going to put Urban Meyer to the side. I got a good feeling for the way the team came together and also reacted with one another when stuff was happening mm-hmm. off the field. It was in, it was interesting.
3: So if I'm not looking for, like, truth necessarily about all of the issues that Urban had and the stuff that he allowed. Oh, no, just... they cover it. Mm-hmm. And he,
1: he has regrets. Like, the notion that they don't talk about guys getting arrested is not true. He flat out says. Like, there were guys being— I didn't. I, he didn't say I don't know what to do, but he made it very clear. Like, every day something was happening. Yeah, they had a long and ledger. It w- and it was a struggle. Yeah, and he makes it also very clear that yes, for certain players, you kind of look the other way. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good actually. Okay, when I first mentioned it, you know, I think it was Al, might have been Al, that you know said immediately, yeah, but they don't cover Aaron Hernandez and the the NFL and the murder stuff. I'm like, yeah, but that's not what this was, right? You know, they do. That was after, right? It was far after the the, the stuff yeah, in college. Years, yeah, and then Al even texted me. I guess it was maybe Monday. Um, you know, or maybe Sunday that he so he watched it or watched the first couple of episodes. Loves it just because it's a it's a pretty good look into college football. And what platform is it? That's Netflix. Okay. You have Netflix? I do. So I, it's so funny because I literally uh, just canceled HBO Max, uh, which I only got to watch Hard Knocks, and then forgot that there were still two more episodes left, and oh. I forgot that winning time, which I was talking to Joe about with the Lakers, was on that. Uh, now i got to re-sign up.
3: Uh, I have to re-sign. So Well, maybe you get a better deal.
1: I suppose. I, I, I don't know that they need to give you a better deal. And I'm going to give you a groundhog update. Oh, yes, please. So I'll give a pop to Terminex. They okay. have Terminex Wildlife. Um, they offer the services to barricade your homes and the sheds and all that. Mm-hmm. So so they came last Monday, and they, uh, they did the shed. They did buy the house. Everything looked great. I noticed by Friday, one of the barricades by the shed was already broken. What are these barricades made of? Like steel wire. Oh. And they dig a two-foot trench around the shed. They put the wire two feet down, and then they nail it to the shed. Right. Well, there's this one spot where it looked like where they nailed it. Perhaps one of the pieces of wire was broken, Mm -hmm. and they got through. So, all right. So that's the first problem. I noticed that on Friday. I'm like, you know what? I'll call them Monday. I can't. It's not that big a deal. I, the shed doesn't bother me. It's stuff around the house that bothers me. Like, I'll call them Monday. Then Saturday morning, I saw these gigantic uh, groundhog tunnels by the house. They, bro- they dug under the trench. Wow. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, now I got to call them. I got to tell you. The guy called Monday, and the woman says, um, listen, we're really busy. We can get to you next Tuesday. I'm like, all right. But that's what it is. I mean, fine. I didn't complain. I didn't argue. All good. Within 15 minutes, I get a phone call from the original rep from Terminix. Is there any chance you could take some pictures and send them to me because I'm not comfortable that those barricades only lasted five days? It's like, wow. Like, yes, no problem. Go, I take the photos. I send them to him. He calls me right back. He goes, we'll be there before Tuesday. We'll call you before we come. Tuesday's too long to wait. I go, okay. So this was, today's Wednesday. So this was Monday afternoon around 3 o'clock. Yesterday, Kim gets home from work at about 2.30. They were there Hmm. redoing everything. So a little pop to Terminx Wildlife that I think, you know, I don't know if they took accountability. They didn't do anything wrong. I mean, the groundhogs just kind of yes. ruined what they did, and they—if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm going to do.
3: Yeah, the—that's uh, strange that they were able to get around it. They got under it, and so quickly. Yeah. So did they sink it deeper?
1: Um, on this review, there were there was a gap that they missed that I think was part of it, where it looks like it started, but then they were able to dig around and under. Uh-huh. And then they, it's just unbelievable. Well, they found the
3: weak link. Yeah. And they came right through.
1: Yeah. And you know what he told me would be the best deterrent, which... A dog? Uh, a dog is definitely one. And that is still under consideration, The mm-hmm. golden retriever. Right? That's the one I would get.
3: Yes. I mean, they're not going to actively hunt the things, you know, or be aggressive No, but that them. should... But usually the, the dog urine is a big deterrent for... On the property. Yes.
1: So that it's, it's worth thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I, I see what I need, as you know, is I need the proper deterrent and a dog that's going to get along with the cats because I don't want to ruin the cat's lives.
3: Right. And if you get a dog that is big enough because groundhogs are not small. No, they're big. So you can't get like a Jack Russell.
1: That's what Boomer was telling me to get. He's like, they'll go hunt those things.
3: They will. But here's the thing. If the groundhog like fights back, it could hurt him. Yeah. It's it yeah. It's more than a fair fight. Yeah, that uh, I don't want. And, and you know, or a raccoon, forget about it. A raccoon, even a larger dog would be in trouble. They are vicious. Groundhogs are tough, but not like a raccoon. Mm. But yeah, but if you're going to get a larger terrier type hunter killer dog, that most likely would be a problem with your cats, unless you get a puppy. And then introduce it, and then their boss, and then they respect, and they're part of the family, that
1: whole thing. Well, the only way I would do it, whatever dog it would be, it would be a puppy. Like, I don't have any, I don't want to, I don't want to go get a, an older dog that's going to come in and create chaos in the house. That's not, that to me is not interesting. The, the, uh, the whole idea is getting the puppy, especially a dog that's only live for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because it's 10 to 12 years, they say, for uh, a golden yeah, retriever.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's
1: correct. Maybe a little longer.
3: Yeah, you're 13 if you're lucky.
1: So I I would prefer to get a puppy. Now, is that it? That's the type of dog you have to go to a breeder for.
3: Um, usually, yeah. Or you know, it, it, but this could be a process. Adopt a, uh, you know, a eighteen month old dog from the Seeing Eye. There was a Seeing Eye dropout. They're still young.
1: A Seeing Eye dropout, but eighteen months is still a big dog.
3: It, yeah, it's a dog. It is not a puppy. Right. But, I
1: don't think that will go over well with the cats. I don't.
3: Right, but in terms of the dogs' interaction with them, that they'll be, especially if it's a golden retriever or even a Labrador, they'll be fine with the cats. It won't be because that's something we try to expose them to as we're training them, and, and the trainers when they get up there, they do that, so it's not an issue. Uh, yeah, but you know, but that takes that's a waiting list, and it's money and uh, the whole thing. Oh, I'm sure to adopt a seeing eye dropout.
1: That, and you mentioned the waiting list or the the and the money. Like, that's the other thing. I told, like, my wife. I'm like, you know, we get, if we do this, and I don't know that we are, but if we do this, you know what? It ain't cheap. No. You no. know? I mean, I don't have pet insurance. I probably should get it because yes. the cats have cost me a fortune. Yeah. You get a dog now, and those vet, it's amazing how much everything costs. Like, even yeah. those bills are up. And a bag of food. And
3: a bag of food you know, is not they, cheap. They're, they're going to be eating, you know, three and a half at that age, probably three and a half to four cups of food a day. Uh, you know, so we, you could get a big 40-pound bag of food every couple of weeks, and, you know, it adds up.
1: It would be like Uncle Eddie from uh, Christmas Vacation and have Clark buy all the dog yeah. food because it's so damn expensive. Uh, right. It's fun. And the thing about the small dog that would freak me out is the, the bird, the vultures. I like, I would be worried if I had a Yorkie running around the backyard. I would, uh, I would find it five miles y- away.
3: Yeah, Yorkie, they're, they're tiny. But, uh yeah. That's usually not that much of an issue with the oh, you have turkey vultures, you said? I think so, yeah. Yeah, they they're they're real they're carrying birds. You know, they eat dead things, usually.
1: Not live things.
3: Correct. Now if you have a big hawk or a, in the area.
1: Yeah, we've seen those too. So
3: but generally they're not gonna go for a dog unless they're desperately hungry. But in your area there's plenty of rodents and rabbits and stuff like that.
1: A lot of dead carcass.
3: Yeah, they'll they'll scavenge too, but usually they're they're live prey.
1: How much? No, I don't want to give me a no. Don't give me a number. I don't need that. How much though? Have you overhauled your house since you moved in?
3: Uh, okay. Well, we redid the first. We had a classic Cape Cod, unmodified Cape Cod. Okay. The virgin attic, doghouse dormers. You know, nothing up there, but you know, just the wooden planks and the beams and the mm-hmm. whole thing. So, and you bought it when? This was nineteen ninety one.
1: Wow, you've been in your house 30 something years 34 already? years, yes. Wow. No, 32, 32 years. years, yes. Wow, okay.
3: Um here are 34 years. Right. So, first thing we did we in the kitchen was tiny. The kitchen was about the size of where I stand in the control room. Hmm. It was tiny. Okay. So, uh the well, all right, we redid the bathroom, the tiny little bathroom, but that's not really a modification. We finished the upstairs, but still with the slope of the roofs. Then we decided to make a big kitchen out and we took down the, the wall between the kitchen and the dining room. And this has got to be, and they had that other upstairs modification was within the first five years when we finished the upstairs. Right. Um, and then we did, we knocked down the wall between the kitchen and the dining room and made one big kitchen and an eating area, no dining room. That was in. 2000, right around 2000, 99, 2000. And then when my mother-in-law died and my father-in-law moved in, we did the major remodification. We turned it into a colonial. Kicked out the back. Wow. Went up. uh, Had a full second story.
1: Did you build a new house?
3: Yes. Basically, we had one wall. You pulled that? You did that? Well, the front of the house. The front in the two sides back to a point, and then the front with the existing. Yeah. But then a, there's some loophole or something. Yeah. where the, you It's know, an addition as
0: opposed to a correct. complete rebuild.
3: Right. Yes. And we actually... And when we did the push-out in the back, we actually excavated so we have a larger basement. Wow. Too. So that was a major modification.
1: Where would you stay during
3: all that? At my... That was in... She died in in May of '08, and we we decided to stay and not move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that work started in like early December of 2008.
1: So and, I was working with you every day when you were going through this.
3: Yes, and it wow. was finished in like mid March of
1: 2009. Oh, faster than I would have thought.
3: And we stayed uh, with my parents on Staten mm-hmm. Island. Because they had some, you know, space was tight and inconvenient and the whole thing. But what are you going to do? The house was unlivable. Right. So that's what we did for those.
1: So you basically had a new house in 2009. Correct. Essentially. Correct. So there's really nothing else you had to do you've had to do then. Aside from your solar panels, which you did, right? Right. And you did a... a, uh, And landscaping, which doesn't... I'm not counting that. But then... And a generator you did.
3: Correct. But then this just... uh, This past... Uh, last about a year ago, uh, I we were talking about doing, you know, re- we had talked for years about redoing the kitchen again, okay, because the old kitchen was at the back of the house, right. where a kitchen should be according to the people. But when we redid the house, the big redo, the kitchen wasn't that old, and we didn't have the money to do a whole new kitchen or move it. Mm-hmm. So we just eventually we thought we were going to move the kitchen to the back of the house where the new dining room mm-hmm. was. But the dining room and the kitchen was, blah, blah, blah. So we did that. We started that last September Okay, with Al's uh, contractor mm-hmm. friend, Drywall Mike. Right. And we had contact him. He put in a front door, a back door from us. And then we were talking about this bigger project. And we said, yeah, you know what the hell. We're going to do that. And we did that. Uh, and that took a few months because he never left us without a kitchen. It was awesome. Nice. It was just a few hours without a sink and a fridge cuz he basically had to turn the sink and the fridge around mm-hmm. and put them on the other side of the same wall and blah blah blah. Interesting. So, yeah, so that was that was major, I would say. Yeah, that is major. I mean, not as big as the whole no, house to do, which was
1: That's a big job though.
3: Was expensive, but yeah, this other one was uh and it was so well done and so much less expensive than we thought it was. That's going great to be very good because of the way this drywall yeah. mic, the way he works mm. and how he does things. It was just, it was good.
1: Just made me think of it because like yesterday, you know, after I came home and they had finished it, I'm like, I've only been in this house, not even six years yet. It's five, right? 2017, 20. It'll be six years in November. Mm-hmm. And it's like in six years, I've put a brand new air conditioning system in a brand new furnace, a brand new hot water heater, I had to rip the old deck down because the planks were rotting out and I had to put a, a new Trex deck in, which I wasn't planning on doing mm-hmm. for another couple of years. I've got to redo the pool now next spring because the liner essentially ripped. I had to groundhog proof the backyard. I've had to put three floors in the basement because of two, the first one I just did. And then I had two floods. So I had to put, right. it's just been nonstop. It has been.
3: It's been it's in, unbelievable. Uh, it seems like a, a in inordinate amount of stuff it's unreal that you've had to do oh it's stupid because i've been in that house whatever 32 years we said yeah
1: and you've not done a lot but you but you built a brand new house in fairness
3: which is a big deal but i'm saying that we chose to do there wasn't an issue we didn't have a problem and we did have one when we got the solar panels in uh they didn't put the critter guards in so one year we had uh raccoon and uh, gave birth underneath one of the solar panels. Oh, God. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they ate through the roof. Oh, my God. And it was like raining in our, uh, in our bedroom. Oh, my God. So that was a thing. But they, it was the, like, it was their fault. They came. Oh, they, good. They, no charge, which was like, oh, my God. And they oh, took care God. of it. Yeah. And I, I was shocked. Yeah. But, uh, it was taken care of, um, uh, and quickly, mm-hmm. relatively. And uh, yeah,'ve i been happy, so
1: I think the only thing we've done in that house sooner than or when we wanted to, like everything else was on the list, but like in time, sure, was the basketball, like we did a pay for basketball half court for the kids when we first moved in because they were huge in the basketball, and it and it, that money I would spend ten times over because it paid off a million times over already, but everything else was I remember saying we were going to do the deck, which we did in. I don't know, was this 23? We did the deck in the fall of 21. I remember that was on our plan for like this summer. We were gonna do it, but in the late summer of 21, my foot went through a plank. Like what the hell? Mm-hmm. Like you just think it's, you think it's ugly, but it was fine. No, it was a it was a problem. I get like two years not, before not, I wanted to do it.
3: Not termites though.
1: It wasn't or termites. It was so nah. no. No, it was just an old old plank. It was nothing like that, but whatever. All right, we gotta go. Okay. Um, enjoy your extended weekend. Yes. I will be here tomorrow, and tomorrow morning you'll have more of uh Fliegelman and Peter Schwartz. You Felix say what you Schwartz. gotta say and we'll get out of here. So
0: 11 days until the Giants kick off the season against the Cowboys. The Giants stop it in the way they Holy cow! The home of New York Giants football. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Good
3: morning, campers.
0: Alan Jerry. Don't worry; it's only an hour long, and most days it doesn't suck. Well, it's going to be a good one today. Good morning, everybody. You've got Mike Flegelman here. No Al, no Jerry until six a.m. When he'll be along with the great Joe Boningo, and I am happy to be joined by Peter Schwartz. Peter, and you're nice. Uh, well, I didn't see the back. I see it's an '80 Jets jersey. It's I'm Carbet. guessing that's Wayne Quebec. It's Quebec. Very nice.
2: Yeah, this is. so you this is
0: a jersey of Boomer's teammate the day Boomer said goodbye. Y- yes, absolutely. So this was when
2: uh, Kozla took over. They added the black trim. So this is kind of like the legacy uniforms that they're going to wear this year, but this was when Kozla took over and he added the black to the trim. So it's kind of like what they're going to wear this year, just the black added to it.
0: Right now, that black trim did not last very long, although anything from that mid-90s, eighty, anything we go back, better than the current uniforms the Jets have. And we will start with those. New York Jets because I know you didn't get to watch all of it, but you saw a lot of the clips online. I did wake up and watch the entire episode. We have the fourth out of five episode of Hard Knocks that aired last night. And the biggest takeaway, something that if you watch the Jets-Giants preseason game on Saturday night, you saw Aaron Rodgers kind of get into it with Jihad Ward. Well, in Hard Knocks, you got the audio of Aaron Rodgers very clearly mic'd up and not happy with Jihad Ward hitting him after a play. Not not a big hit, but definitely some light contact. Well after the play, and Aaron Rodgers not very happy.
2: Not happy about it. And I, the interesting thing with Rodgers now being the Jet is we're just we're seeing these different sides of Aaron Rodgers. Like you never would have thought all the years he was in Green Bay that he would be like a trash talker. Like it just it, that stuff never came out. Now whether it was the way the Packers media covered him, I don't know. But we're seeing all different sides of Aaron Rodgers now with the Jets, and to hear him go at it with him uh, on Saturday night—that was really, you know, fascinating stuff. And hey, he wasn't taking any crap from him.
0: No, and it all adds into what we've heard, what we've seen. That Aaron Rodgers seems locked in, motivated. All the you know the little things that—that's that, something that maybe shouldn't bother a guy who's been in the league for so long. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. He's won a Super Bowl. All right, a little contact after the play. Uh, from a guy he does not know, whatever. But no, Aaron Rodgers doesn't take it like that. He's serious. This is a preseason game. And he's talking to the guys before they get on the field. Let's go out and score a couple times, which they only do one out of the two. Thanks to Randall right. Cobb and his penalty. But even the clips from that, where he's getting on his good buddy Randall Cobb, I, yeah. hey, what are you doing? I know that hit was legal a couple years ago, but it's you not can't 2014 do it now. anymore, right? Yeah. but, but his, of you. course,
2: his wife in the stands with their son is saying, right. oh, "Look like it was a good a hit. hit, hit. hit.
0: Like, that was a good hit." Right. And and again, he's, he's going to get the, fined for that before now. the rule changes a couple years ago. That was a very good yeah. hit, uh, you know. Watching just how engaged he is with his teammates, with the coaching staff, especially Nathaniel Hackett, just all around. Especially coming off of yesterday's news that Kelly Stafford saying Matt Stafford is having trouble connecting with the young guys. You see how this team feeds off of Aaron Rodgers. And it's something that we've talked about all offseason when he's at OTAs. Every step of the way, he's taking in everything that there is to do in New York. Uh, the episode last night ends with the tag of all the guys on the Jets going over their favorite Broadway plays, and then you have CJ Uzama dropping a couple <laughs> f bombs in like a happy context, uh, yeah. talking about how great some of these plays are. Through the end of August, where we are now, everything has gone perfectly so far. for Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. Yeah, and
2: as you were saying that, now I was thinking of our conversation yesterday where you were like pleading with Jet fans not to be negative about it, and you just, like, the perfect lead-in to what I could have said, everything has gone right, and now we're just waiting, is anything going to go wrong? And I don't want to feel that way. I want to feel great going into September 11th, and I I think there's no reason not to. Listen, you just don't know how a season is going to play out, but...
0: I, I, I said it yesterday, I can't remember being this excited about a season since 99. No, I mean, and you should be at that level, because even in 2010, obviously Jets fans were excited coming off of the first AFC Championship game. Sanchez was still a little bit of an unknown. There was, you know, well, they kind of lucked in back into the playoffs the year before, how much of it was real. They proved it was very real. And then, I don't know about you, going into 2011, I hated how they handled that offseason. So, I was still excited, but it wasn't, like this year where I look up and down this roster and we look for weaknesses and there's nothing glaring even yesterday at practice Dwayne Brown back at practice Dalvin Cook he's practicing says he does everything all these guys who there were question marks they're starting to work their way back into the fold Carl Lawson is back at practice it looks like the Jets are going to be as healthy as you could realistically ask for heading into week one both fan bases here the jets and the giants and i'm not even that high on the giants this year as we talked about yesterday if you are a new york football fan you should be thrilled and excited going into september because again why not
2: and because our baseball season has stunk with both of us it's i mean it's just it's it's been brutal and now i you know i mean we'll get to baseball in a little bit but now like at least from a yankees perspective like I'm excited to see when Austin Wells gets called up and hopefully Jason Dominguez gets called up as well. And now, if you're a Met fan, you're wearing a Brooklyn Cyclones t shirt. Uh, Kevin Parada just got called up to double A. So there's other things from a baseball perspective that you can focus on. But just the fact that, you know, both teams, you know, the Giants are coming off a playoff year. The Jets had this ridiculous offseason with high expectations now. I mean, this is going to be unbelievable. And every week you're going to be glued to your TV or you're going to the game whatever it might be. I this I can't remember you know being excited for a Jet season since 99. When was the last time there was this much excitement for
0: both teams? I don't know if it's happened since I've been around. And even I'll be honest even in like those 2009-10-11 ranges, there was a lot of excitement. Maybe going into 2008 once the Jets traded for Favre. Giants obviously coming off a Super Bowl victory. right? And until the Plaxico incident, they had what looked like the best team in the NFL. The Jets were right behind them until Brett Favre ended up getting injured. Maybe going into that year, but then 2009, 10, 11, late summer, I was away at school. So Mm -hmm. just being around it in New York, being here every day, obviously. I've worked here since 2012. So going into a football season, the last decade plus just here, this is completely unlike anything I have experienced Working at WFAN, <laughs> producing and screening calls, the daily conversations we're having. It's been maybe one or two years where we felt this good about one team. To feel it about both teams, this is a very exciting time. Just for me personally, for obviously as a Jets fan, but then from working here and being immersed in it every day... This has been such a refreshing change of pace.
2: And you mentioned you didn't like the way that you know the 2011 you know season unfolded for the Jets. Remember, the, the groundwork for that was laid the year before, because that's when they really started to dismantle the team that was you know built in 2008 and 2009. And you know, they got rid of Thomas Jones. The offensive line was being you know broken up, and the Jets still got back to the AFC Championship game in 2010. Ladainian well, Tomlinson was one of the running backs, and you know they were, you know, they put together a, a line that was still able to get them. But you, you started to see that deteriorate, and it obviously it undercut Mark Sanchez the following year. And then Rex keeps him in the preseason game, and he gets hurt, and that was the end of that. But yeah, it's been an abyss for the Jets since then. And now, listen, let's let's strap it on next week and get ready to go against Buffalo.
0: No, listen, it's something when we get to next weekend, and you have. Giants-Cowboys Sunday night into Jets-Bills Monday night. Huge games for both teams. Not that either one is in too much trouble if they start 0-1, but this is, for the Giants, it's definitely the, the team right in front of them because the Cowboys are between them and the Eagles. So this is the next team, the next step for them to prove to us that they've improved and they're ready to take that next jump is beating the Cowboys. For the Jets, it's contending for an AFC East title And the team that's won the division the last few years, granted, of course, the Dolphins finished ahead of the Jets too last year, but the Bills are the team to beat in that division. This is a challenge and an opportunity for both teams heading into week one, and you love that they're both healthy, at least relatively healthy, going into an NFL season, and both teams seem to be in as solid a position as you can be to take their crack at their big rival, to take their shot.
2: And it was cut down day yesterday in the NFL, and both teams got down to fifty three. Get to the Giants in a second, but you know, from the Jets' perspective, their, uh, perspective, I think there were some surprising names, you know, on the list. You know, Tim Boyle, I never thought they would cut a friend of Aaron Rodgers, but they did cut Tim Boyle. We knew Bam Knight was reported. Uh, Zach Coons. You know, it's never good when you have to cut a draft pick. And listen, I know it was a low round pick. It was, I think, he was a sixth round. No, pick. He was the seventh. A round seventh pick. round. A seventh round pick. So. It's not the worst deal in the world, but you you spent the draft pick on him, and now he doesn't make your team. I would suspect he'll be back on the practice
0: squad. Yeah, see, I, I never even look at it that way, especially because we knew like the Jets' top three tight ends were locked in, Uzama, Conklin, and Ruckert. So there was a low chance that he was going to make the roster anyway. Seventh-round pick, you bring an athletic guy into camp. It seems like the Jets still got, from the undrafted pool, the guys they wanted in camp to make sure, you know. So taking Koontz there was to uh, – it seemed more like – Let's make sure we get him into Florham Park and to get a good look at him. And one area where the Jets have had solid success in the last few years, well, two, because they've had waiver claims that Joe Douglas has made and the undrafted free agents, Bryce Huff, Tony Adams. And this year, you're going to be looking at a couple of the wide receivers who make the roster. Gibson. And, and Brownlee. And I know mm-hmm. you didn't uh, get to watch this part of Hard Knocks last night, but the way they were, they've shadowed both of those receivers and how they were competing at, at the time we kind of thought maybe for one spot. So not that they're pitting them exactly against each other, but they do lay it out. Hey, these are two leading candidates for what is most likely going to be one job. Of course, with Corey Davis, it turned into two. But the way Nathaniel Hackett talks to Gibson on the bench during the fourth preseason game against the Giants makes it seem like Gibson was never in danger of being cut. So it's just funny how that plays against... What we've heard, what we have followed over camp the last few weeks, is this guy on the roster bubble. You watch Hard Knocks and you go, it does not sound like he was ever on the bubble.
2: Yeah, now you know watching the game Saturday night here. Um, you know, Gibson had that bad drop uh, in the first in the first half, and you th- start to think, oh, well, you know, he's on the wrong end of the bubble. And then he had a spectacular second half. So, and he, and he returns kicks, so that obviously helped get him on the roster. Um, and unfortunately, the Hard Knocks star from uh, a week or so ago, Jerome Cap, he got, was one of the cuts yesterday too.
0: He was, and you know, obviously, you don't get the the scenes anymore with the cut scenes. Uh, it, it's still, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts here because this is something that got a little bit of buzz when it we were found out the Jets aren't going to do this. You know, you see Cap, and he talks to the uh, the Hard Knocks crew after he gets cut. You know, it, I, I always feel uncomfortable. While, you know, they're showing his parents during the game when he's not really getting involved a ton. I hated those cutscenes. Like I I am much more, I don't know what they're going to do with Hard Knocks next week now that camp and the preseason are over, but I hated those episodes where out of 55 minutes, it was 35 to 40 of let's go one by one by one, watching these guys have their dreams crushed and their soul stripped. I hated those scenes. You want to show me the ones where the guys find out they make the roster? Yeah. And I forget if it was Gibson or Brownlee. Somebody said the coaches uh, tricked them and went with the, you know, I'm sorry. You made the team, yeah. so that stuff is fun because it has the happy end. I don't want to watch these guys who have worked so hard for so long. For a lot of them, this is the end of the road. I, I know people have big interest in those cutscenes, Peter. I hated that stuff. Why do we want to? Why do I want to be a fly on the wall for one of the worst moments in their lives? I
2: hate that. Yeah, I thought that was very cringeworthy, especially you know when the Jets were on hard knocks last time. There was also that. Um, there was a scene in the first hard knocks the Jets were on when they were um, – I can't remember the quarterback's name when they were in it. It was not, not Brooks Bollinger. It was after Brooks Bollinger. I can't remember the quarterback's name. I have to look it up in the break. But Mike Tannenbaum is sitting down with this quarterback and they're discussing you know, restructuring his contract. They want to restructure his contract. It was almost as cringeworthy as watching a guy get cut. The way Tannenbaum was talking to him, and, uh, um, was it
0: Brunel? Was he still there? No, it
2: was not Brunel. It was a young quarterback that had been there a couple of years. Kellen I- Clemens? No. Oh, Kellen Clemens. Yes, it was Kellen Clemens. Good job. <laughs> I guess I was drawing a blank on him. Um, and so they're talking about restructuring his deal, and he's like, what if I say no? He goes, well, we're going to cut you.
0: I remember, I remember the, well, we're going to cut you part Yeah. For t- we're going to,
2: we're going to cut you. Um, so yeah, I I don't think that's necessary to show somebody's dreams get crushed on on television. People want to
0: see it. It's one of the like the most successful parts of Hard Knocks for twenty years now. People love those scenes. I just I never understood it. Going, you know, I loved the first time the Jets were on. Of course, how could you not? Yeah. And not even just Jets fans. Everybody loved that twenty ten Hard Knocks season. Of course, you know the Rex Snack speech. The the uh Revis conclusion and how dramatic that was I always joke that's as dramatic as yeah. anything that's ever been on HBO uh The Wire the Sopranos and that's going to be the other headline from last night you know it's going to be tough for you to play it during the show uh because people know the song they know the music but Hard knock sort of recreated yeah. the Sopranos theme with Robert Sala driving to MetLife Stadium before the preseason game and I gotta be honest Peter it gave you gave me goosebumps. Yeah, I, I
2: saw a clip of it. Somebody, it's it's not it was not worthy of airing, so I had to go find the Sopranos theme online. Just we'll we'll do something on it's, one of it's the, literally just the first we, thirty seconds we'll of do, the Sopranos. We'll, theme. we'll do something. We'll 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 try and get through something on the update about it, with being cute about it. But um, I, I thought that the way I saw it on online, it looked like they did a really good job. Really good job with that. Um,
0: oh, yeah. In the beginning, it feels like it's almost a shot-for-shot recreation until they reveal that it's solid in the car, and he, then he goes on a different path because he's going to MetLife Stadium. Right. But the first couple shots, you're like, oh, this this is the Sopranos.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> a nice throwback by HBO last night to do it. By the way, the first time the Jets were on Hard knock, so I was covering the Jets for FAN at that point, and uh, I remember going back and forth from New York to, to Cortland uh, to cover camp. And I remember the first episode was airing. Uh, this so it was the second week of camp, and it was one of the my drives. One of the I was going back and forth every few days, so I'm driving home from Cortland as the first episode is airing, and my phone just starts going, bzz, 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 and I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" So I stopped to go get something to eat on the way home, and I look at my phone. And he goes, "You're on Hard Knocks. You're on Hard Knocks. We just saw you ask a question on Hard Knocks when they were." The, they were checking in uh, at the beginning of camp, and Revis is not there. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Damian. It might have been Damian Woody who I asked. I think it was Damian Woody. Like, what's your level of disappointment that uh, Darrell is not here? And, uh, you know, my, my, my kids go back, and they find it on on Hard Knocks. And they, like, Dad, you know, you, how come that was the only time you were on? We watched all the episodes. Like, that was the only time. But that was it. Like, right off the bat, like the first two minutes of the show. There's the question.
0: Well, that's good, and you got in early. So last night, you didn't see him, but at the end, when they, uh, I said they were talking about the Broadway shows, you do hear Brian Costello ask a question. Oh, okay. So no FaceTime, but for anybody who is familiar with the voice of Brian Costello, which if you listen to WFAN a lot over the years, obviously you are, you will get to hear him make a quick little cameo.
2: Yeah, I was kind of hoping for a cameo on last week's episode because my family and I were at the Thursday... It was supposed to be the second joint practice, and that was just a regular Jets practice, so they were showing some clips. Uh, maybe they'll show us in the stands there. We didn't
0: get in. And maybe they'll do some of the old footage and B-roll in next week's episode when there's a knock, uh, not a lot going on. I know we're still waiting for maybe a, a quick shot of when Boomer and Gio were at camp two weeks ago, but it's hard to get upset about anything not being at Hard Knocks now when we're four episodes in, there's one left, and we still haven't seen a, a, even like one quick shot of the general manager, Joe Douglas, has avoided hard knocks oh, he's, like it's the plague. Yeah,
2: he wanted to know part of it. I guess it goes back to when he was like the, when Turk, he was the Turk for the Ravens. So. But, I, I, you know, you made the point off the air about, you know, people just are, aren't liking this hard knock. I, I thought this has been a phenomenal season of it. I've enjoyed every oh, no, episode. I think
0: people are uh, liking it. I meant, like, in the last few years, we've seen it been criticized. But we can get into that. I want to make one more point. We'll talk more about the Aaron Rodgers and Jihad Ward stuff. And I do want to ask Peter a question. We'll talk about baseball as we continue with the show this
2: does not have to do with a vacation, does it? No, has okay. nothing to
0: do with vacation, nothing to do with hotel rooms. I'll leave that to Jerry and Joe. I will ask you, though, Peter, you're a longtime Yankees fan. I will ask you a question that only a Yankees fan can answer. We'll get into all of that. It's okay. the warm-up show with Fleegs and Schwartz, and we'll be right back. What are we done all right, along here on the warm-up show. You've got Mike Fliegelman and Peter Schwartz with you, Jerry Recco, and Joe Beningo Come your way at 6 o'clock. We've already talked a lot of Jets and Hard Knocks. We'll do one more thing on Hard Knocks and the Rodgers versus Jihad Ward thing later on. There's still a viral tweet from yesterday. I don't know if you've seen it, but we definitely have to get to that. But before Mm -hmm. either of those, I do want to ask you, it was cut-down day in the NFL yesterday, which turned into seemingly cut-down day in Major League Baseball as well as the tweets and the reports just start flying in. The Angels put what seems like their entire team on waivers. The Yankees put Harrison Bader on waivers. We learned earlier in the day that they are releasing or did release Josh Donaldson. And it kind of closes the book on one of the most universally panned trades you've ever seen from a Yankees perspective. Most people hated it at the time. It ended up being, I think, worse than anybody could have ever imagined. And I do want to ask you, before we get into more with that and Bader, Peter Schwartz, your gut reaction to, is Josh Donaldson the most despised New York Yankee of all time? (laughs)
2: It's close. I mean, if if it's if he's not number one, it's pretty it's pretty close. I mean, you just talk about it, guys. Just it it just never felt right from the start. And I remember being at the home opener last year, and he had and he had the game winning uh, hit in 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 the home opener last year. It's still just it never worked. It just didn't feel right, and especially because in the deal you're giving up a real fan favorite in Gio Urshela, and it just like it's like one of those deals. It didn't make sense at the beginning, and I heard. Uh, Chris McMonagle talked about this on the on the overnight. You know, it's not like they were getting a guy that had bad stat. Like he had a good year the year before, but it just it, it just didn't feel right from the, the beginning. And they finally cut the cord with a month to go. I would have liked to have seen them do it a little bit earlier this yeah, season. Like, I, think this last I think it would. I think it would have said. You never want to have the last thing a general manager should ever do is make a move because the fans ask for it. But it just would have made more baseball sense. And this is where Hal is so different from his father. Because if it was George, he would have been released way earlier in the season. So
0: I thought he was going to be released back when Aaron Hicks was released. Because Donaldson only had that last year remaining on his deal this year. And I thought of the two, Aaron Hicks had a chance. He might not have been at the time, but a chance to be a more useful player down the road. Which he became when he went to the Baltimore Orioles, the the two biggest problems with the trade are number one. Yes. He wasn't this player yet, but the signs of decline were already there for Donaldson. And he's an older player that happens Mm -hmm. as players reach their late thirties. And the other one, and this is what I think rightfully bothered a lot of Yankees fans. Okay. How put a, a strict budget and restraints on Brian Cashman, their one big move last off season was to cash in that 20 plus million dollars. He was able to spend, on a declining late 30s third baseman who has, you know, they were looking for an edge. I would describe it a little bit more as an attitude problem because there are guys with edge that are, you know, beloved by your teammates. They're the guys that you respect them and Mm -hmm. you hate watching them on another team, but you love them if they're on your team. Josh Donaldson just seems like that guy that everybody despises, whether they're an opponent, whether they're a teammate. So they misread that and they cashed in their one chip last offseason for a losing card.
2: Yeah, it was a, a definitely a, a losing card and again, just you know, you bring you bring in a guy and listen, if you if a guy's a bad guy, you can almost look past it if he comes in and produces. And it was just a double whammy there cuz he just wasn't a good guy, he was not well liked, and he didn't produce. And when he didn't produce, he was injured not producing. So he was not producing when he was injured, not producing. When he was healthy. So it, it was it, a horrible chapter in Yankee history. And, you know, thankfully that's that's over now. And and the most important thing now is it opens up the roster spot. And now perhaps before the end of the season, you'll be able to use that roster spot on Austin Wells. And, uh, you know, as we get it towards... It
0: sounds like within a week or so when rosters expand, we'll see at least one, if not both, Austin Wells and Jason Dominguez. So yeah. better days are ahead in that regard. For the Yankees fans, it's just funny for me to th- Like you said, it's close. I think back... Um, in my early 30s, I can't remember a player on their own team that the Yankees fans I know despise more than Josh Donaldson. There's only one that I think comes even close, and it's Carl Pavano. But even though oh, he was—he yeah. played on some better teams. I mean, Donaldson and he—I don't know which one of them gave you less. Pavano was hurt a lot. Josh Donaldson. There were so few moments where he stepped on the field and made a positive impact for the New York Yankees. And then I think the Cashman quote. That'll live down forever is when he said, you know, we really like Gio, but he's not Josh Donaldson. And then you look at their numbers the last two years, and Gio is significantly better in every category except home runs where he trails by, I think, 10. But everything else across the board, plus he's a fan favorite, plus he's a beloved teammate, plus he's, even though Donaldson was an elite defender, Gio Urshela defensively is still right there with him. It is it is an all-time bad trade by brian cashman a guy I'm, who i've defended over the years and i think at times takes a little too much heat from yankees fans that is uh, that you know what that is it's not just whiffing you remember todd frazier that won a bat in the alcs against houston and he had a lot of these in his career but you remember this one because it's the playoffs mm-hmm. where he just swung at a pitch i mean his bat yeah. was like two feet away from the ball he was late on it it reminds me it's that kind of swing we're just been like, a disaster <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thanks, that's going to go down as one of the favorite. I'll give you. I'll give you
2: another name that just popped into my head, and he was just so vilified and deservedly so because he came. He was supposed to be a part of the, a big part of the rotation, and he completely spit the bit for the most part. Was was Kevin Brown when Kevin yeah, Brown came one. to the Yankees? I remember they had the, you know, he he had a game seven that he was got got whacked around in. So that's up there, and I think also this, well before your time. But in in the eighties, Yankees had you know the Yankees had those good offensive teams in the eighties, but they never had enough pitching to to win the AL East. And they went out and got Steve Trout, starting pitcher from the Cubs. He pitched for the Cubs in the Whites, the Yankees got him from the Cubs. And I remember George Steinbrenner, you know, telling his team, I just won you the pennant because has got Steve Trout. Steve Trout was terrible when he came to the Yankees. So Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. It would be an interesting thing to go, like, to rank the top, you know, the five or ten worst Yankee trades of all. uh, all.
0: uh, Ranking the trades, it's definitely up. It just has to be because not that you gave up a ton, but you gave up the best player in the deal. You got back a guy who was awful. You were stuck with him, clogging up the roster and money for a couple years. That's the problem that never used to exist for the Yankees, but because of the budget they have now, not only was Donaldson bad, but it prevented them from making other moves. Two years in a row, let the first time maybe by choice, and the second time just the result. And
2: Harrison Bader is a likable player. Like I yeah, really that, like that, Harrison that Bader, one's more but unique. I still don't understand. I, I still don't understand the reasoning for the trade. You traded a promising young left-handed pitcher in Jordan Montgomery, and at the time, it just it never made any sense to me. Now Harrison Bader is a good guy, and he's had his moments in a Yankee uniform. Uh, and in the playoffs, you know, last year too. So I, I don't, I don't like dislike Harrison Bader, but it, that's a trade that didn't make sense either at the beginning. But at least Bader was a likable guy. He was from New York, loved being a Yankee, and we'll see if he remains a Yankee as, after he was put on waivers. He didn't know what waivers was, right? Yes. No,
0: that that was more interesting. I mean, that trade, I didn't like it at the time. It's not Donaldson level bad, but that one, it went back and forth because we all kind of crushed it at the time. Then, when Bader's playing well for the Yankees down the stretch and in October, he had a lot of big hits for the Yankees last year. And then when he was healthy this year, so he said, okay, even with what Montgomery is, Bader is still contributing to the Yankees. But this year, it is slanted way back towards a loss for the Yankees because Bader's been injured. He hasn't been very good. The team fell apart. And then Montgomery put together a really nice season where he's going to be, you know, not the Shohei Otani level, or, or now Otani's out. So, Urias and Yamamoto the top tier free agents right. in this market but he's going to be one of those next group of guys he's going to get you know 3 to 5 years he's going to get 50 plus million dollars Jordan Montgomery has become a reliable middle of the rotation starter he's a lefty and the Yankee again, another cashman, kind of the quote, the thought process of, well, he's not going to pitch for us in the postseason. And now you look at the Yankees and say, he'd be your second best starter.
2: Right. It, it just never made any sense. He was, he was a homegrown player. He was your guy. And he, listen, he, he had his moments where he wasn't good, but he certainly had moments that he was good. And I just never, again, it, just, it never made any sense to me. Plus, I had gotten a whole bunch of his baseball cards, and I had to throw them <laughs> in the old Yankee box.
0: Well, see, that's that's one reason. The other one I, was I, I, I will think of is going back to last month, the Yankees standing pad at the trade deadline and Cashman with we were in it to win it. For Bader to be placed on waivers a couple of weeks, listen, it's not all-time mistake like the Angels just did. They keep Otani, they buy, they go nuts at the deadline, trading half of their farm system, and now a bunch of the guys they traded for are on waivers a month later. It's not that bad, but it, it seems like Cashman was caught in between at the trade deadline, and now what started out as a trade most fans didn't like, shifted to their benefit very briefly, then became a bad trade again, now ends with, you could have, not that you would have gotten a ton back for Harrison Bader, you're not getting a Jordan Montgomery player back, but you could have gotten something for him a month ago, and now he's on waivers and your season's over. It's just a bad look for the Yankees, and they're the team that, you just never expect to see this kind of stuff from.
2: Yeah, it just it's 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 disconcerting. And again, not to not to you know pour dirt on Brian Cashman because you know, listen, you can't deny the Yankees' success in terms of winning games on on his watch and playoff appearances and and getting getting to championship series. But again, whatever. Whatever system is in place right now with the Yankees is just, it's not working. The system is broken, and he's the person who's responsible for that system. And again, it's not all his fault. It isn't. I mean, to put all the blame on him is not right. But sometimes, you know, an executive has a shelf life. Just like a coach will have a shelf life coaching a team or managing a team, I think an executive has a shelf life too, and I think that shelf life is. If, if, if it's not here, it's, it's coming pretty soon.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of Yankees fans would agree with you. I have a comparison for the Yankees that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. We'll get to that on the other side. We still have to get to that viral tweet from yesterday and maybe another Aaron Rodgers-Jahad Ward nugget. We still have a couple of stories to get to. It's Fleeks and Schwartz on the warm-up show. We're coming right back on The Fan. Go at six o'clock. It's Mike Fliegelman and Peter Schwartz with you on the warm up. Peter, I did want to ask you because we were talking about the Yankees and Brian Cashman and another team we talked about earlier. We talked about this season as well. I look at the Yankees being kind of caught in no man's land this year, seemingly without a plan when the season starts to spiral. Cashman caught looking at the deadline. It reminds me as a Jets fan when I talk about going into that 2011 season. My excitement waned a little bit because I hated how they handled that offseason. You know, they lost me a, a little bit when they—letting Jericho Cotterie go. They brought in— terrible. All, all those oh. moves, awful. The Jets, if you remember, when the lockout ended, they were kind of in the same spot, caught without a plan. They chased Namdi Asamoah. He goes to the Eagles. Then they just re-signed Cromartie. And then that's mostly it for the offseason except for the bad moves at wide receiver. I look at those situations similar. And not that Mike Tannenbaum had— nearly the kind of success that Brian Cashman did. But you talked about, you know, coaches or GMs, whoever it is, the shelf life and kind of running its course. That was the moment for me as a Jets fan where Tannenbaum lost me. That's where they went from years of progress to, oh no, you just made that fatal mistake. And I look at these last two years for Brian Cashman kind of in the same way of you did such an incredible job for so long. Yes, not every move worked work out, but to have the... Amount of wins he did over the first 23 years, even last year when they make the playoffs, they get off to the incredible start to have that success. But now looking back on the last two years of moves, it just, it went from, you know, good, great, pretty good, solid. This one's okay. You'll live with it too. Bad, 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 bad,
2: bad, 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 bad. Yeah. Uh, it, and and again, not to take away from his complete body of work, but you can't dispute the lack of success that he's had in the last couple of years. Yeah, they made the playoffs last year, but it still wasn't good enough, and the team was poorly. And here's the other thing too about this year: you take away the you know the Donaldson trade and and the Bader trade, and everything like that, you you came into the season without a left fielder.
0: The were right, nine was positions so... on the field, and you said, you know what, we're going to skip one. Thanks.
2: Right. So you you had there was no left fielder. It was a problem all season long and you didn't address that, and then you get to the trading deadline when you're still – we have some semblance of hope that you can make the playoffs and you don't do anything to help the team. And it's almost as if – and I don't think he would say this, obviously, but it's almost as if he's like, ah, we're just going to roll the dice with what we have if we make it, we'll just start over again next year. But it's a different kind of starting over than Steve Cohen. At least least you know it's Steve Cohen right now that he's going to go out and – be able to get the Mets some different players. They they when they made these trades to clear money and spend it on the prospects, you you, you know Steve Cohen's not going to going to sit quietly. It's, not, it's and,
0: not even just to sit quietly. It's the like he identified something went wrong. They might know not know exactly what it is yet, but they say all right, something went wrong. What do we have to do? What do we have to change to make it go right next time? Whereas everything you hear from the Yankees is. Oh no, we got this right. Just there were injuries, there was bad luck, and that's why we haven't right, won. Right? No, but they, the they didn't get years. it right. They, Aaron, Aaron, they, they, Aaron Boone is this great asset. What? What do you? You guys are all wrong. Of, co- of course, we know what we're doing, and fans have gotten to the point where it shifted. And you're right. You can't take away Cashman's body of work. And I even think it's you know foolish for people to say, well, they're never going to win with him. They can't win with him. It's tough to say that about a guy who already has won four World Series. Of course, he can do it again. Mm-hmm. The question is, and this is a big one, that he will have to answer because he's going to be here. Is he willing to take that long, hard look in the mirror and say, okay, this is, I've done a lot right, but what have I done wrong? What can I change to start impacting this team in a better way?
2: I have a a very different perspective on the way baseball is now from when I was growing up because I'm obviously a little bit older than you, a lot older than you. And I'm not an analytics person. I just, I don't understand it. To me, you know, the way I grew up, and then when I started working in this business, it was always to me, you know, you had a general manager, you had a manager or a coach, and you put together a roster with, with a gut feel. Like, you you know, you somebody's got to pass the eye test. Like, to me, it's like an eye test is better almost, I think not almost as, better than just looking at a piece of paper with numbers on it. And I just can't put my hands around the fact that the Yankees have become... What Oakland tried to do with Billy Bean, what the Rays have tried to do, and it really hit me a couple of years ago. And the Yankees couldn't in a playoff game didn't didn't have a starting pitcher like that. Like for the New York Yankees to have an opener for a playoff game, this is the New York Yankees. And again, I'm not trying to sound like a pompous Yankee fan, but like this was like, how do you not have a starting pitcher for a playoff game? I hate the analytics thing and. I just, listen, I remember when there was a game that I went to in Baltimore years ago with a friend of mine. The Yankees played the Orioles. This was in, I guess, it was in 96. The Yankees go to Baltimore. Doc Gooden is pitching uh, one of the games of a doubleheader against the Orioles. And he's having a rough fifth or sixth inning. He's got bases loaded and try to keep the Yankees in the game. And I'm saying to my friend, like, you know, Joe's going to pull him here. I mean, he's got nothing. And Joe comes out to talk to him, and Gooden convinces him, Leave him in the game. Tori leaves him in the game. He gets out of the jam, and I'm like, "That's what I'm talking about. Like, you have to have a feel. You have to have a, a, the ability to give somebody the eye test to, to pass an eye test on somebody." Well,
0: it's it's the blend of both because I I there are parts of analytics I like and I respect and listen. The, the great teams do it to a really positive effect. You have to blend the two. You have to have the information, know how to process it. And translate it into the right way into success on the field. And you also need that person on the staff. It helps the most if it's the manager who can have that gut feel, who knows the people, who knows the game. But that's where Aaron Boone. See,
2: Aaron Boone. I can't tell you here what kind of a manager Aaron Boone is because I don't think he's making any of these decisions. And the, all everyone comes down. Well, he made this change, that change. He's not a good manager. I don't know if he's a good manager or not because I think he's getting the lineup card written out for him. I think he's being told what to do. I just can't come to the realization of what kind of a manager he is because of the whole analytics thing. I just I, – I, I don't like it. It's not something I'm ever going to get used to. But it's it's obviously part of the – part of sports right now and every every, every sport's using it.
0: No, and I hear you. And especially the way – as you, a Yankees fan, has watched the Yankees use it over the years – I would understand, you know, this is not watching the way the Braves used, the Dodgers, the Astros had. Either the New York teams had that kind of success. We'd maybe like it a little bit more. The way the Yankees have just fully embraced it and failed, I fully understand why a Yankees fan would say, Oh, it makes me want to
2: throw up. You saw the movie Moneyball, right? Yeah. So I equate the Yankees to the opposite. Like Brian Cashman's like the opposite of Billy Beans. And then there's a scene in Moneyball where he's meeting with the scouts and they're trying to figure out a way to replace Giambi, Inzringhausen, and Damon. And they're talking about, oh, sign this free, you know, this free, we are like this guy. And Billy Bean is like, if we try to be like New York Yankees in here, we're going to get wiped out out there. And I feel like the same thing with the Yankees now. If we try to be the Tampa Bay Rays in the conference room, well, the Rays are going to kick their butts out there on the field. And that's what's
0: happening. Well, and that's what happened in that game, too, in 2020, the Devi Garcia-J-Hap game that you were talking about. No starter. They they tried to outraise the Rays and it did not work. And even in Moneyball, not only have I seen the movie, I've read the book, and there's a big line in there where Billy Bean even says, you know, my bleep is not built to win in the playoffs. This is just supposed to be for the regular season. It's a a lesson that you would think the Yankees would hopefully learn at some point. We have to take a quick break. We'll come back. I want to read a tweet of news to Peter and ask him one more question about Aaron Rodgers and Jahab Ward. Wrapping up in a couple minutes, first, a CBS, or an Audience Sports Minute with Amy Lawrence about Mac Jones and the Patriots. (music)
1: It's the dynamic duo of Al and Jerry, the superheroes of WFAN. All right,
0: not a lot of time left, so I do want to read this to Peter. This tweet went viral yesterday about a shooting at guaranteed raid field during a White Sox game. Indeed, an incident, uh, an accidental discharge by one of the women, quote, grazed by the bullet. She reportedly snuck the gun in past metal detectors, hiding it in the folds of her belly fat. Your thoughts. Um, I've
2: snuck things into places in large pockets of a jacket. I would never have thought of sneaking things in with any part of my anatomy.
0: Well, now that someone was able to do it, you would never do it with a gun. But do you think no. now, like, yeah, that's an acceptable place for a sandwich? <laughs> I, I, guess if, about, I guess if I you had the room for it. FM HD One New York always live on the free Odyssey app.